Welcome everyone. I'm Sue Barber, author, former IT director for a Fortune 500 company, turn executive coach, and this is the Visibility Factor podcast, where we explore how to raise your visibility and play bigger at work and in life. We'll explore key topics and welcome guests that help you shift your thinking about yourself so you can see new possibilities for your leadership. I'm on a mission to create a visibility movement for leaders to show their value and be seen for their true talent. Are you ready to take the next step towards a higher level of visibility for yourself? Let's go. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Visibility Factor podcast. This is Sue Barber, your host. I am thrilled today to present to you my guest and I'll be transparent with you, my former manager, Steve Mintert. He is someone that I worked for before I left the company and he has a wealth of experience in leadership and leading teams and I'm just so excited to have him here. So, welcome to the show Steve Mintert. Mm, thank you very much Sue. It, it's an honor, truly an honor to be here. I know when you left Craft uh to go on to bigger and better things now. Um I've I've been watching you from afar, you know, reading your book and these kinds of things and uh I'm truly honored to be here and to be able to talk to you today about various topics and uh, I look forward to it. Thank you. Well, thanks. I you've always been a great supporter of mine and I am so excited to talk to you today because I know there's so many things you're going to be able to share with the audience from your years of service with the company. So, I'd love to have you just give a quick overview of your career and uh recent events uh that have changed some things for you. So, if you don't mind sharing some of that, that would be great. Sure. So a long time ago, back in 1983, I graduated from a university called Eastern Illinois University. I believe Sue, you also graduated from there. I, I uh, did, did not know you at that time, but you had graduated from there. Uh, and um, I started out at a, at a at a company called Olin O L I N Corporation. Uh, I was in the brass mill division. I was in production inventory control, but pri- but primarily on the IT side. So I was basically a, a coder uh, going into this role. After two years, um, visibility came my way, and uh, there was a big layoff of 92 people. And unfortunately, it was uh, it was bad for me, and so I, I lost my job. Then I got hired on at a great company called General Foods uh, in 1985. And so between 1985 and and the uh, just uh, three four months ago, uh, I spent 38 years at, at this company from uh, General Foods all the way through various changes and roles and responsibilities to what's now called Kraft Heinz today. Um, and again, uh, starting out probably at the lowest pay grade possible and just walking up the ladder uh, into uh, areas of responsibilities really across everywhere, um, everywhere within the IT realm. Uh, I mean, sales, marketing, supply chain, logistics, you name it. Uh, and then uh, even on infrastructure operations, all these kinds of things as well. Various levels of responsibilities. Um, uh, and I actually had a chance to run um, our largest manufacturing plant in Champaign, Illinois, uh, on the IT side, which was a glimpse into my future, which we'll t- I'm, t- I'm sure we'll talk about later. It was the best job I ever had. Uh, and, uh, and then, so I moved from corporate to manufacturing, back to corporate, and uh, all of that really uh, built the personality that I have, and it built the persona uh, that I took forward with me uh, into more senior leader leadership opportunities. So, yep. Wow. So impressive. Uh, and I know all of those lessons I was a beneficiary of, and I'm really grateful for that because you definitely well, helped you. me through yeah. some challenging situations that I went through uh, at the company when I worked for you and worked with you. I would love to ask you first, you know, you mentioned Champagne was kind of a highlight for you. What made it such a great mm-hmm. role for you? So when what happened was, is I was installing a warehouse management system and the two largest plants in our network, in Kraft Foods, in Springfield, Missouri, and then in, in uh, Champaign, Illinois. While I was in Champaign, uh, there was a plant manager there who was a, 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 a dynamic lady. I mean, she ran the show. She was strong. She was courageous. She had traits about her that I was just attracted to, you know, and uh so as I'm installing this, the IT manager leaves the, the uh, plant. 
And she comes out to me and she says, um, would you like to be the IT uh, lead here for this plant? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, I've never done that before or anything. Again, being uncomfortable, but I was visible because I was out there in the warehouse installing this um, warehouse management system. And so she made the arrangements. I made the arrangements with my family to move to Champaign. I made the arrangements with corporate to move to Champaign. Why was it such the best? Why was it the best job I ever had? A couple of reasons. One, I learned the value of a, of a real mission and vision. Uh, statement because their statement was we will make the highest quality product at the lowest imaginable cost and we won't hurt anybody doing it and when you think of every 1200 people in a plant getting their hands around that right and and really coming to work every day proud of the product they're making and everything it, it was amazing experience unlike anything else that's one thing second thing my hair was on fire <laughs> 24 by 7, okay? It was up to me and my team uh, to keep that plant running technically, both on the application side and user computing side, partnering close with engineering to ensure production lines are moving, trucks are shipping, and all these other kinds of things. The third thing was is that I'll never forget my first day. I walk into that office. I look at the chair. It, it, nice, nice office. Look at the chair, and I said... Now what do I do? I really didn't know. But I knew what I needed to do to get to where I could be somewhat comfortable that I could actually do the job. That really tested me huge, big time, really, really big time. So what did I do? I went out and I spent time on second shift, third shift with, with the folks on the floor. Why are you doing what you're doing? What is it that, that, that I can learn? How, can I, how do you use our applications? How do you use our technology? What, what is it that you don't like about it? You know, and so I started creating these relationships with all these folks on the floor. My plant manager told me, she said, I will micromanage you until I figure out you know what you're doing. And I said, well, what are you going to do tomorrow? Because I'm going to figure it out pretty quick. <laughs> it, was, it was a big joke for us, you know. And, uh, and, if, and if you'd have known, you do know her. I think I know you know who I'm talking yeah. about. But at the end of the day, she was amazing. She took me under her wing. She taught me manufacturing. She taught me everything that goes on in that plant. The last thing was this. I had an idea that uh, the folks back in corporate should get closer to the manufacturing facilities. At that time, we had, you know, beepers and stuff that would go off. This was back in 1995 to the year to late 1999. And folks in corporate thought, basically, plants are something you water. Okay, they didn't know, they really didn't understand the true that they were manufacturing facilities, okay? So I had this idea, I invited the CIO and I invited his, his staff at the time down for um, two days. And I said, you guys gotta come see this plant, it's amazing. I was so excited and so, this is like six months after being in the job. And so they come down to the plant and they, I said, so day one, we're gonna do a plant tour. It's gonna take all day? I said, yeah, cause it's, it's gonna be a special plant tour. So what I did is I took them from receiving to production, and I, what I, all the technologies that are used, all the applications are used, how the data flows through the plant, all that kind of, I took them through all of that, introduced them to truck drivers, and said, hey, talk to this guy. When his trucks are waiting, it's bad news. So sense of urgency, really learning what, what Kraft Foods was about and how things work. Uh, and uh, and building my my leadership profile because of that, and, and, and how to really cause long-standing relationships. So 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 good. And I, everybody asked me after my 38 years. So what was your most favorite job? Champagne, obviously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so amazing. Well, I've definitely uh, experienced how you build relationships, and I think. In every role I've ever seen you be a part of, I do think that that is one of the key factors that has made you successful. Not only because you're really great at building relationships, but you're good at seeing people and not just the work that they do, but actually seeing the person. And mm -hmm. I think that has made so many people so loyal to you as a leader and also want to be a part of your organization because you do have a way of helping people grow and develop and make them uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And you definitely did that for me. And I think that is something that a lot of leaders don't think about. 
You know, they just Mm -hmm. think about the work and they don't necessarily think about what the person needs in terms of development and how to help them grow. So is that something you felt like you learned there or is that something you learned, you know, as you progressed? Yeah, it's, it's, that's a little difficult for me to answer because I think sometimes it comes naturally to people, how they connect mm-hmm. with others and everything. But one thing I always thought about was when I started managing teams and I started being looked at as the leader, you know, of an organization or whatever it might be, was the fact that this person has a home life too. And so in every one of my one-on-ones, I would take the first 10 to 15 minutes and talk about them. What's going on with your kids? What's going on? Are you, you know, that, that baseball team you're coaching, that, that, that swim meet you went to last night, that dinner you had, you know, tell me about it. What happened? All this stuff. And then you make a connection to them because that's part of who they are. If they're not happy at home, they're not going to be happy at work. And if you don't show an interest in who they are as a person, not just as a professional, but as a person as well, you start to make that, that connection, you know, right away. Some people don't want to share things, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, and I would, and then I would share things about you know my my family or or whatever, uh, and we would have a great connection for that first ten or fifteen minutes, right? So you got to find out what makes people tick, right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing, Sue, was I focused on people's strengths. I didn't focus on their weaknesses. I knew what they were. I knew what the weaknesses were. <laughs> I, 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 they were aware of them, you know, through performance reviews and everything. But where you get the most value out of people is when you use them for their strengths. And if you try to put somebody in a role to develop their, weak, their weaknesses into a strength, that doesn't always work. It really doesn't always work. And, it, and they're not happy. And so, you know, there's so many other things that goes into uh, the development of a person. Uh, but those are some of the key ones that I, I always try to do. So you mentioned a little bit about coming into a role and maybe not knowing what to do. And I know you had to do that repeatedly because you were put into roles where the role didn't exist before in some cases. And you had to create that. And I'm curious what you what you thought about when you were building that and how did you come up with the vision of what you thought it could be, because I think you are a person who focuses on possibilities. And it would be very interesting, I think, for people who are in more ambiguous roles and roles that maybe have not been defined yet to understand how to think about that. You you said it very well. When people focus on what's wrong versus what's possible, you're not going to think big and dream big, right? If you're always focusing on little things going wrong here or there, you can't at the end of the day, you're never going to change history. You got to leave those suitcases on the curb. You got to keep moving forward. I always used to tell you and others, drive that car looking out the windshield, stop looking in the rearview mirror, right? In order for stuff to happen, like you were saying, I'll just, I'll give you an example, you know, with the, I, I built this thing called the, the, the Global Command Center. And when I took over aspects of operations when Kraft and Mondelez split, I noticed right away that Kraft really didn't care much about operations like I thought they should. And when you care about operations, you know, the possibilities are endless, you know, where you're going to have flawless batch execution, where you're going to have servers that don't go down, but you're preventing them from going down and you're doing proactive kinds of things. And so I I built this dream inside me that said, we should really care about operations, and here's why. And you, you, I put some financial values to it. I put some, you know, customer delight values to it, and, and, and other things as well. And then you got to find out well, <laughs> who has an opinion and who has a decision. Okay, and so you, when you start the enrollment and engagement of an idea like that and a dream, and you start the alignment of, of key people, and then you start, you, you get the approval to move forward. Until something goes wrong, then they, somebody might start shooting you down. Well, we're not going to waste time on that. But I had two bosses at the time. Uh, it was my boss and my boss's boss. They looked me in the eye one day and they said, Steve, act like you're the chief operating officer. That changed the game for me. And so then I was able to, it, it freed me up. It, it made me want to be very visible in front of all of the operation leads and giving them the possibility of what it could be. You got to dream, dream big, don't be afraid, 
okay? Enroll others into the possibilities. Don't focus on what's wrong. Uh, you know, don't, don't be a victim. Don't sit there and say, oh, well, that's never going to work because I can't blah, blah, blah. No, be a leader. Don't be a victim. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that is one of the best uh, things that Craft did for many of us is taught us about the value of possibilities and helping us recognize that there is always a way. You can figure out a way. You just maybe haven't figured it out yet. And bringing people together, having conversations, trying to look at all different ways of doing it, I think was one of the best and most valuable things that I learned for myself and how I've helped, how that has helped others, you know, that I'm coaching now think bigger for themselves because it's, it's not something I think people naturally do. And I think that was, it became part of our DNA. Totally agree. That was the whole breakthrough thinking exercises that we, we used to go through and everything. And we had to come mm-hmm. up with our own personal leadership stands, remember? And uh, if, if you give mm-hmm. me a minute here, I can tell you, I just tell you a quick funny story because in a room, you you might have been in the room, sure. in, a, in the room of about probably 75 people or so. I come up with my breakthrough stand. And I didn't know it was horrible, but my boss was in the room and he thought it was horrible. <clears throat> he it, Not horrible, but he said that, he goes, you already do that. That's not breakthrough. And I'm like, dang, he's right. And so in that 10 minutes of him telling me my breakthrough stand was not good enough. He goes, try this one on for size. And I read this and I actually read this in in part of it in your book. It says, you take people to uncomfortable places. He goes, right now, you make everybody comfortable. He goes, people around you, yeah, they feel good about their jobs. Yeah, they're doing their job. Make them uncomfortable and watch what happens. And I did. And it was a leadership breakthrough for me. And so it was it was like, OK, now you don't turn into some raving lunatic or anything, making people uncomfortable. But <laughs> but you, you, you take people to places that they haven't been before and it's OK. You can be uncomfortable there. Give yourself the opportunity. There's there's many people in, in my in my organization at the time that would come to me and say, Steve, I really have interest in security. I really have interest in networking, but I don't, I don't, I don't think I could be a, a, a good player there. And I'm like, well, why not? Well, you know, I, I don't know as much as they do. I said, so? I mean, you realize 80% of what you know right now transfers over to the other job. You just got to learn the other 20%. Go do it. Go be uncomfortable. One guy's running the network team right now today. He, he thought he couldn't do it. Now he's running networks globally. Okay, he took off and just shoot. And then security, same thing. They found what they loved. They had a passion. They took it. They ran with it. They learned it. And and yeah, it's amazing when that happens. It's a lot of fun. Mine was uh, in that room was I was going to make sure that we had one global master data system, which when I said it, I thought, oh, my God, now I have to do this. <laughs> and uh, I did. But I don't think I would have done it without that session. I really, I think it was not something I was thinking about. And I had a lot of people who didn't believe we could do it. And uh, yeah, but once you say it out loud, it becomes reality and you have to go make it happen. <laughs> yeah. When you go public. Um, yeah. Then, then it's okay. Now, are you going to, you say, well, now who's accountable to do this? And you grab the mirror and you look in it and you say, oh, it's me. And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really a cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've talked about a lot of the great things that you've done. Uh, I know not everything is perfect in everyone's yeah. career. So tell me about an experience you had where things didn't go well <clears throat> and how you dealt with that. Yeah, uh, I, I actually have one pretty embarrassing experience. Um, I call it embarrassing. I was in charge at the time of global procurement or source to pay, it's called. Part of the pay piece was accounts payable, okay? We had a, uh, a shared service center in San Antonio, Texas, and they were on homegrown, visual basic, live atop Excel, blah, 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 kinds of uh, antiquated systems. They decided to move in with this brand new technology. When I say they, see, and I'm saying this on purpose, when I say they, okay, they decided to go in and they decided that this, uh, this would be their application and, and things like that. 
project was a was a failure. Okay, I was over it as from a program lead perspective, and also, but I had project a project manager on there as well. And it started to fail. It started to fail. Well, what was failing? Well, productivity was down. Uh, scanning of invoices going into electronic versions was was not working. Uh, usability was hor- was horrific, um, and it was it was it was bad. And so what happened? What what I quickly learned right there was that I because w- I started almost being this victim. Well, these people aren't doing this right. Well, these people aren't you know committed to this or this this this. And I quickly learned. I'm not owning this. I've got to be an owner here. And so what I did to get through this, I called a timeout. And I said, I, I talked to my, my, my management at the time, who they weren't real happy with me, rightfully so. And, uh, and I said, I'm going to go down to San Antonio. I'm going to spend six months there, uh, Monday through Friday. And we're going, to, we're going to get through this day by day by day by day. And I guarantee you, uh, it will be squeaky clean when we're done. It took a lot less than six months. I just said six months to go. So that's what I did. I started going down there, causing relationships. What's this business process? What's this do? What's this do? What's that do? And it worked. Now, here comes the performance review time. I'm sitting in my boss's office and he goes, well, Steve, I really hate to do this to you. And if he's going to watch this podcast, he'll, he'll remember this conversation. And uh, he goes, I really hate to do this to you because I, I don't know. I don't think you deserve it. You know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, what? I go, whatever it is, I deserve. I know that. And I got the worst performance review I ever had in my life. And when you're at that, and you remember, Sue, when you're at that senior manager level and you get one of those reviews, I got zero merit, zero bonus, zero stock op, zero. Okay? I was lucky to get a paycheck that Friday. And, uh, so, um, so he, he's giving me all this stuff. He says, you know, you could have done this better, this better. I said, yes, I know. I know. I know. Yes, I agree. And at the end of that session, I said, are we done? And he says, yes. I said, okay, I, I got to go talk to somebody. I went directly to the CIO's office and I, I talked to, talked to uh, him at the time. And I said, I just came on my performance review. Uh, I deserve it. I deserve everything that was said, everything I got. I got it. I said, I, I own this. And I had my badge in my hand. And I said, I said, are you still willing to invest in me? And he says, yes, we're willing to invest in you. I had to know because I was not going to waste my time. Right. And because some people will have a bad performance review or they'll have a, a, a situation. Everyone has a bump. Okay, everyone has a little thing they have to get over. It's how you get over it and how you deal with it. And when you deal with it right away and you put it on the table that says, are you still willing to invest in me? Do you still see me as a leader? Do you still see me as as a person who wants to be in your organization? He could have said no. Huge risk. He could have said no. And I could have said, "Okay, here you go. Uh, (laughs) Fortunately, he said yes. And that also changed me. Uh, because uh, a, a horrific uh, experience like that, well, I call it horrific for me, changed me. And I said, I'll never let that happen again. And he says, I know that. And so that was that was how I got through it. I'm kind of glad I went through that because it, it, it builds upon your, 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 your profile and makes you stronger. Yeah. I think you always learn so much more from failures or what's a perceived failure to you than you do from everything going perfectly mm-hmm. and smoothly. And uh, in my yeah. experience, I've had the same, and you are well aware of some of my situations that did not go perfectly. And I definitely learned so much from that mm-hmm. because it just makes you take a look in the mirror, reflect on who you are, who you want to be, and you have an opportunity to step up, just like you said. And I think what's great about you mm-hmm. is that you are not afraid to maybe say the hard thing, that others may not say. You know, like I remember some people when we did an organizational change, Mm -hmm. they were not excited about the role that they were put in. And you said to them, like, you have three options, right? You can either turn us around and be happy where you are. You can go find another role potentially in the organization Mm -hmm. or you can leave. And I've always thought about that because Mm -hmm. I know that wasn't probably easy for you to say. 
I know it wasn't probably easy for them to hear. Yeah, being open and honest is is very uh, important in a, in a in a relationship situation like that. Um, I'll tell you another thing too that goes along with that is um, not demanding the trust and respect from another person, but you got to earn it. And the way you start earning it is through open and honesty discussions, you know, and many other, other, other things about that. But if they know, and if you earn that trust and respect from that person, and then they've earned it from you, that's tight. That that's a bond that's hard to break. Mm-hmm. Some managers just go in and they just demand it. And what do they do? They look they're looked down upon. But who's that? Who's he think he is? Who's he think she is? You know, all these kinds of things. I, I just I've I've seen way too many people do that and it's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just flat out wrong. Totally. I've seen it the same. And I always remember when I was working on that global master data project and the many hours we put in to make that happen. But I knew that my team would walk through fire, you know, if I asked them to, because I cared about them Mm -hmm. as people. I sent them home many nights when they didn't Mm -hmm. want to go and they wanted to just stay and get stuff done. I'm like, you have to go home. (laughs) You have to sleep, please. (laughs) I need you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Right. So (laughs) I think it it, it is how you set yourself up as a leader and how you show that you care about people. That makes a difference at the end of the day, for sure. Yeah. I agree. So I would love to know, yeah, like if you were, talking to someone who's a new manager today or just taking on a bigger role, what are maybe three or four things that you would share with them that they should think about for themselves? One, one thing is to never forget the work. And I mean that very seriously because if you come in as a manager and you start giving out demands and commands and do this, do this, do this, do this, and you truly don't understand what it takes for that project manager, for that security person, for this operation, whatever. It's not right. And and I'm not saying you have to know how to do the job, but never forget the work, okay? Because folks can get piled on, piled on, piled on, piled on. And and if the leader doesn't understand what that person is doing, they're just gonna keep piling on. And uh, it's it's just just not not acceptable. Coming into a, a, a team, you're also making that connection with, with each individual, right? Last thing you want to do is create a team that's just like you. That's a huge no-no, okay? If I had a bunch of teams that were all Steve Mentors, we'd fail. No doubt. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, you got to have that that person that's a great communicator. You got to have that person that's a great project manager. You got to have that person that this so and, and diversity of thinking, and and the diversity of style, and 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 all of those kinds of things. That's what makes the team come together under a common purpose, under a common strategy, and then they rely on each other because they say, yeah, this person's got this strength, this person, and they understand who everyone is on the team. Uh, and and what they can go you know go go do and get done, um, so figuring out what makes them tick, figuring out the strengths of each individual, never forgetting the work, and and the other one the the hard one for some people as a new manager is really holding people accountable, okay, holding people accountable, but first you got to hold yourself accountable. If you don't own what's going on as a leader, how do you expect the person on your team to own it? If, if you don't perform at very acceptable high levels, how do you expect your team to perform? You've got to set the example. You've got to be the model citizen, right? Uh, so a new person coming in to lead a team you know, has to absolutely ensure that they take that into account, right? Uh, and then... Have fun, okay? It's okay to have fun, you know, because even with our even with strategic suppliers and or uh, you know full time employees, you got to have fun because in that eight nine hours a day, ten hours a day, you're going to have interactions where you're going to be nose to nose. Not everything's going to go well, but yet you still want to have a beer with them at the end of the day. You still want to be able to go out and say, mm-hmm. hey. You know what? 
that was a great day. We got a lot accomplished. Let, let's go forward. So those, and uh, there's probably one more where, um, you know, a new manager coming into a team and trying to figure out, well, why is the team there? And the manager should really understand why is this team here? And if that team is actually servicing a certain organization or whatever, they should go out and figure out what that person does for a living, how they do finance, how they do, uh, you know, whatever it is that they're doing, logistics, whatever it might be. Because when you make the connection with your business customer and you make that great connection with your team, that naturally comes together. And that that's very critical for a new manager going into a, a, a team is to understand that. Yeah, I think also because you need the management to either be aligned or have a way to communicate and get aligned on things. Otherwise, it makes it really hard for your teams <laughs> to get work done uh, if that's not true, right? So what do you think your legacy is at Kraft? Boy, um, I've given that some thought, actually, because <clears throat> one of the things I used to say to people as they thought about their career at Kraft, you know, I always say, well, what do you want your legacy to be? And we talk about that in their career development, or we talk about that in their advancement and things like that. What do you want your legacy to be? And you get various answers and everything. What I think my legacy was is that I cared about people. Uh, I cared about who they were, what they are, how they do it. Uh, And I wanted to make sure that they were engaged and enrolled into the overall strategy of the company, but also into what makes them happy. And when I retired, okay, I had a lot of people come up to me crying, which made me emotional, um, saying that, Steve, you were the best leader I ever had. You really cared about me. A couple of them even said, my spouse has never met you, but they love you. Because there were times when there was family issues or something. And I gave them the time to rectify that and do whatever they needed to do. And they, and, and they, and though they never forget that. I hope my legacy also is one of integrity, okay? Where I modeled it, I, you know, by being honest, by being open, by telling the truth, um, by always doing the right thing, even if it hurt, okay? Which is something my father taught me. Um, And I think another part of my legacy is being there for others, you know, being there, no questions asked. My folks knew around the world, they could call me 24 by seven. They could get a meeting with me. They didn't have to go through, you know, administrations and everything to get to me. Um, They had my cell phone number. (laughs) Uh, So my folks knew that I was there for them. Um, and my folks also knew that I was very honest with them on feedback, not only just from me, and other, but feedback from other leaders in the organization. Because it's, it's got to be understood what others are perceiving them as as well. It could even be a wrong reality that that perception is. But at the end of the day, they got to understand that so that, um, they, so that they can make a change mm-hmm. if necessary. And the other thing would be is that I hope I was contagious. And I know in a COVID world, that's probably a bad thing to say, but I really hope I was contagious, meaning that I hope my demeanor, because <laughs> uh, I always knew uh, walking down the halls of Aeon, walking down the halls of, the, of a plant, walking down um, you know, anywhere at a, at a professional office building, even when I went to India to visit IBM, Infosys, and all these folks, somebody was always watching me. And you got to be aware of that. And if I'm in a horrific mood uh, and I'm with everybody, they're going to think something's wrong. <laughs> and they're going to think, oh, what's, what's, what's going on? You know, so, so yeah, I, thought, I hope my legacy is one of integrity. I hope it's one that uh, I, I was we're there to grow people. I got things done uh, and I got things done, done well. Um, and, uh, and I actually gave people the opportunity to provide for their families and have a greater career than they ever thought was possible. Well, as a product of that, I will say that is absolutely what you did for me, for sure. And uh, one of the things that I noticed most at your retirement party, you. you know, I hadn't seen those people for, you know, probably since I left the company for some. And it was a consistent story message about you was 
I don't think I've ever worked for somebody who cared about me as much as I have when I worked for Steve. I'm just curious, what do you think has been most surprising for you about retirement? Yeah. Um, So I retired March 3rd, which was a Friday. I woke up March 6th. I actually woke up the uh, 4th and 5th as well, but I woke up March 6th on that Monday. Uh, and, uh, And I was like, wow, I don't have all this stuff to worry about. And it felt good. 38 years of intense, you know, uh, work and everything else. And I was talking to a, a somebody and they said, Steve, now it's time to invest in you. You've invested in your family. You've invested uh, with other people. You've invested in this, 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 but you know, and I, I mean, those are my investments in myself, by the way, when I do those kinds of things. But now what's surprising to me is that I haven't missed it yet. Have I missed some of the interactions with folks and stuff <laughs> like that? Sure. Have I missed the project review meetings and the budget stuff and all the other stuff? No, I haven't. Um, can I still do it? <laughs> Absolutely. But um, do I miss it? No, I do not. Um, the other thing that surprised me was people calling me even after the fact, after retirement uh, uh, party and things like that, telling me, thanking me for what I did for them and what I did for their families. And I didn't really know. I didn't really understand that at the time. That was a huge surprise and a huge gift for me, uh, for people to, to tell me that. It really touched my heart. And I, I was really, really quite emotional. Um, the other thing that I, and I'm, I'm not trying to sound obnoxious here, but the other thing I really didn't understand was, you know, how much of industry leadership I actually was doing. Because the, the big multi-billion dollar companies we were working with, I talked to each one of them as I, as I left. And they said, Steve, no one does this like you. No one, blah, 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 blah. And I really, because I didn't go out and speak to all these conferences all the time and everything. I spoke at a couple, you know, and I didn't advertise myself as, hey, I'm the industry leader. Um, but when I found out what we were doing at Kraft and Kraft Heinz, that that was seen as something big, beautiful, and special, I didn't know that. And um, I, I could see the results of it within our company but as they were working with other companies, they would tell stories about me I didn't know about. And so now I know all this. And that was a huge surprise to me about how much of a uh, I impacted the industry without even trying to impact it. But I'm having fun breathing right now. Um, and I'm you know, traveling, uh, investing in me, like I said, you know, lots of exercise, you know, um, walking, you know, eight, 10 miles a day, all those kinds of things are, are really refreshing uh, for me. And it feels really good. I'm not bored yet. Um, and I just thought of one more thing, if you don't mind, because you sure. said, you know, what surprised you? One thing that really surprised me was I really thought I would miss the competition. I love to win. Okay, <laughs> I do. Now, I'm not a sore loser, but I love to win. Win that negotiation, win that uh, contract, win that uh, you know system implementation. Be the best project ever. I loved that competitive spirit. Uh, that and I built that into my teams too to be competitive in everything you do. And I thought I think mentally I was ready for this. I really do. Yeah, yeah I remember when we won the conference room decorating contest, which was an amazing experience. <laughs> I, I know that made you happy when we beat everybody That's right. there. That day. <laughs> I mean, if you're, uh, you're going to do it, do it right. Just do right, it. Right, right. And do it right. Don't and do, do it, it with excellence. Way, or don't do it. Or just, yeah, <laughs> just go away. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> okay. So, Steve, we're going to transition into what I call the Rise Up and Be Visible quick tips. So, these are four questions that I ask every guest, and I'm really excited to hear your answers. So the first one is, visibility is, if you can fill in the blank and then tell me why you feel that was your answer. Yeah, um, you know, visibility is a positive force in your career, okay? It's something that 
can be done in many, many, many different ways. But being visible can be vocal. It can be physical. It can be uh, many different facets of, of who you are and what you are. Some folks find it hard to do because there is this inner fear that if they become real visible, uh, they will um, be exposed or something like that. That's good. Be exposed because somebody may then have something to tell you that you haven't heard before and, and you'll grow from that. So uh, yeah, visibility is, is great and you need to figure out uh, with the right mentorship, leadership to become that. Yes, be that person. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So what do you think was maybe the best thing you did to be visible that you would share with the audience? I, I, I shared a lot. Okay. I, I was just a person that was, that was, um, uh, vocal in ways that, uh, giving input to other people's, uh, you know, concepts and things, but also, uh, with my own personal dreams, uh, of like I was t- talking earlier about the command center and things like that. Um, that visibility, that, that just grew the visibility f- factor, if you will, massively large, um, but you got to be up to it, okay? Because it's an investment. It's an investment of your time. It's an investment of your emotions. Uh, and there's going to be ups and downs to it. And if you stay, you know, aggressive and, and, and go after it in a, in, in a vigorous way, bringing people along with you at the same time is magic. And uh, it, it can really boost a person's career uh, by doing that. What is the best leadership or career advice you ever received? Yeah, the 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 one I said earlier about act like the chief operating officer, because when <laughs> that that it, it puts you in a mental state. Um, the best career advice was what that I ever received was, um, you know, ma- ma- manage your risk, okay, but don't let it stop you. And that came true in many roles that I went into, okay? Because there's personal risk, there's professional risk. But when, when, I, when I looked at it from a no-fear standpoint and said, no, I can figure this out, or no, I can do this, or I can do that, but I can't do it. I, there's no I in team, as you well know, and I can't do it on my own. So the, the advice of, of, of enrolling others and aligning others to possibilities and, and doing it with a no-fear approach. Um, you don't have to have all the facts up front to bring something forward. But don't let that stop you, you know? And you never know. I mean, the possibilities are endless when you go into a room of people and you say, hey, I was thinking about blah, 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 blah. And then they're, they're like, whoa. Or somebody might say, eh, like I said, I've been shot down many times. But that one time when it goes through, it feels really good. So it never stopped me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Love mm-hmm. that. I love that. Uh, and uh, what is a book or books you would recommend to the audience? There was one book that really uh, changed me uh, as far as um, ownership goes. And it's called Extreme Ownership. Um, it's by a, a Navy SEAL. Um, and whatever you think about the military, whatever. But at the end of the day... The rigor, structure, and discipline that they go through where things become a habit, okay? Like walking right now for me is a habit. If I don't do it, I get upset. But all the routines and stuff we did at work, okay, also become a habit. And roles, responsibility of certain individuals on your team become a habit. All that stuff becomes just things you do. And then you say, well, now now what? What's next? How do I get better? How does this team get better? Success is temporary. When you have success, it's awesome. Okay, now that's done. Now what? What's next? What's next? So reading this book on ownership right. and reading this on execution, excellence, and, and the, the power of, of, uh, of ensuring people understand what it is that they have to do to contribute so that when they get into that situation, that critical situation, it's a habit and they know what to do and they're not asking tons of questions. They, it's not what you will do. It's what you should do. And boom, 
it happens. So I like that book a lot. Another book was, um, what's it's, it's sitting right over here. Actually, I was reading through it last night. It's called, um, uh, mindset by, uh, Carol Dwick, the new psychology mm. of success. I, yep, I really like that book a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read it once. I'm going to read it again. Um, why? Well, because I like it. And it just kind of refreshes the brain. <laughs> and Sue, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I'm not yes. saying this because you're on the screen here, but I really enjoyed your book a lot. I told you a few weeks ago or whenever we were talking that I actually learned a few things about you I didn't know. And I like how your book tells a story. <laughs> you know, it you take through stages yeah. that people can really understand and get their hands around. And they say, and I'll, I'll bet you when people read your book, they say that happened to me or that was me or, yeah. or this, 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 mm-hmm. you, probably, you probably hear that through your coaching as well. So I, I really like your book a lot. I thought I, you did a very good job with that. Okay, it was very well you. done. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. It's, I always say, if you want to know something about Sue Barber, just read my book. <laughs> <laughs> Cause a lot of people probably didn't know a lot of that stuff was happening for me because no. I didn't say anything. Right. Uh, nobody, nobody knew. So so thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, I would love to end the podcast today with just a few of what we both know as uh, mentorisms, which are some of the famous sayings mm-hmm. that you have shared with all of your teams. I know you've shared a few today throughout the conversation, but is there a couple more that you could share with people just as a little motivation? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> besides the ones that were said, um, I used to tell people, you know, you love your job. When you get a speeding ticket coming to work. You did. And if you can get to the point where, not really get one, but get to the point where you, you cannot wait to get to work, that, 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 that's a big deal in somebody's career. Um, another one is, for me, the art of every negotiation is to make it their idea. Because once it becomes their idea, then it's gonna, it'll happen and they own it. And I, I've had that happen so many times with me where I'm in a negotiation and I know exactly what I want. But if you figure out how to make it their idea and then they say it, you got them, right? Um, you know, the standard ones out there, I think, of people joining great companies and leaving bad managers, that, that's a, that I think a lot of folks have, have said that one. Um, and I, I think we, we talked about stop thinking about what's wrong. Uh, and and think and start thinking about what's possible. Um, inject pride into every employee. Every employee should should feel proud of the company. And I'll, I'll finish I'll finish this this section with with uh, three things I used to ask myself every year for the last fifteen to twenty years. The first question is, do I love the company I work for? And do I love the the products and services it it has? And I don't mean love as in, boy, I love my car. Ooh, I love a hot dog. Ooh, I love, I mean, do you love it? Are you in love kind of situation? Do you love the company you work for and do you love the products and services it has? Number two, do I love, do I love what I do for the company? And does it give me challenging and does it allow me to do what I want to do to grow? And the third question is, um, do I love who I do? Do I love the people I work with, and do I love and do I love the person I work for? If all of those questions are yes, you're in good shape, in my opinion. Some can vary, okay, because some can change. The person you work for, if you don't, eh, if you don't really like them, <laughs> that could change, uh, you know. And and what you're doing can change in a company, no doubt. But if you ask yourself those questions every year, in which I did then I knew what I, I wanted to do or had to do to continue doing what I was doing. Because people would ask me, how did you spend 38 years with the same company? And that's how I did it. It's because I, I used to ask myself those questions. It's pretty simple, right? But they mean a lot mm-hmm. when you really think about it. Yeah, very important. Very important to ask because a lot of people dread getting out of bed. Uh, definitely would not be speeding to work on a regular basis. So. <laughs> Uh, I think, uh, and that all to me comes down to having a great leader, having a great culture, knowing that you're learning and growing and having opportunities to show that. So you definitely 
set that as an example for all of us to follow. And I feel very blessed and honored to have been someone who worked for you and learned from you. And I'm thrilled that you came on the podcast to share your wisdom with the audience. And I know everybody, I hope you have your your notebooks filled with ideas now that Steve has shared with you. And uh, anything else you'd like to add before we go, Steve? Yeah, just thanks again, Sue, for this opportunity. Um, it's my first podcast, so uh, I've never done done this before. I've had many conversations like this with people before. I've stood in front of three, 400 people and had conversations like this before when I was in India and stuff like that. But uh, to have this interact, this intimate interaction with you was, was a lot of fun. It brought back a lot of great memories. Uh, you're, you're, I've always, you know, looked at you as a, a as a outstanding professional, you know, a strong, a strong woman and a person that, um, is a model citizen to others. And so, um, to, to, to be here with you was, like I said at the beginning, to be here with you was an honor, Sue. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Well, thanks for coming on. And I hope everybody Mm -hmm. took a lot of lessons away from today's conversation. I know I learned new things. I always do every time I talk to Steve. So, uh, thanks so much, Steve. <laughs> Enjoy your time off. I know at some point that will change and you'll do something. Thank you. Uh, and I'm thrilled for you and all of your success that you've had. And uh, I just know it's going to make a difference for people in the future, whatever it is you decide to do, even if it's just your family. Okay. Well, thank you, Sue. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thanks everybody for joining today on the Visibility Factor podcast, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening to the Visibility Factor podcast. Remember that visibility starts with small steps that are intentional and consistent each day. Be bold, be visible, be the leader you were meant to be. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Follow us on all of our social media platforms, which are highlighted in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Visibility Factor podcast.